Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Thursday, December the 2nd, and we are approaching this day as people of faith. And so I am welcoming you this morning, acknowledging that life is challenging, that there's seeming no end to um, the conflicts and the concerns that we have and that we face. But there is certainly no end to the grace of God and the comfort we enjoy um, in knowing him. So it is December the 2nd, and we are in Luke chapter 2. So you're going to um, you're going to you're going to see those things coinciding um, for the next few weeks because, you know, the date uh, is going to coincide with the chapter in Luke because that's what we're doing. We're reading through Luke together. It is not too late to join us. In fact, you know, you're. You're not late at all, all right? So uh, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Join us in our reading through the Bible. Uh, we're, we're reading through the Gospel of Luke during the month of December, and so we are in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2 includes the birth of Jesus, and you're going to say, well, it's not Christmas yet. I'm not sure I want to read the whole Gospel of Luke. Well, you know, if you want to really understand why Jesus came in the Incarnation, you know, reading the whole Gospel is a good idea. All right, so... Uh, In Luke chapter 2, we get the birth of Jesus. Yes, the little town of Bethlehem. The fullness of time arrives. The shepherds keeping watch by night. The angels we have heard on high. The Gloria. All of that is in chapter 2. The presentation of Jesus in the temple at eight days, which results in the testimonies of Simeon and Anna, two of my favorite Christmas characters who often get left out. Uh, The return to Nazareth, and then what many consider a 12-year gap. Why don't we know more about the childhood of Jesus? I'll give you something to think about. Uh, We do learn uh, of Jesus' time of teaching his elders in the temple when he's 12 years old, following his family's annual pilgrimage to the Passover. So all of that is in chapter 2. Today, I want to briefly look back at chapter 1. Because in Luke chapter 1, um, there is a scene that I think is relevant to what is happening at the Supreme Court of the United States of America in 2021. So, turning back to Luke chapter 1 briefly, I want you to consider um, both the conception of John and the conception of Jesus and the moment their two mothers meet and the powerful testimony that is of the preborn. Not only that they're human and alive, but conscious and aware in ways we do not ordinarily consider. So the story of Elizabeth and the conception of John is no less miraculous than the conception of Jesus by Mary. And so picking up in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. Now, she's just like, you know, 
barely pregnant at this point. She arose and she went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. They are cousins, and Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I mean, what just happened there? What just happened there? Did a 24-week-old preborn John just leap in the womb of Elizabeth when the just-conceived Jesus entered the room in the womb of his mother Mary? I mean, is, is, is that what just happened? That's not my conjecture. That's Elizabeth's testimony recorded in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It's not too late to join us in reading through the Gospel of Luke during this season of Advent. So go to MyFaithRadio.com. Join us in reading through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We are going to talk with Ben Johnson about the case being heard or heard yesterday before the Supreme Court of the United States on this very topic of the preborn. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson joins us again this morning. He is a media reporter for the Daily Wire. You can find him at dailywire.com. Ben, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good to be with you again as always. It's great to be with you today. Have you here on the Supreme Court heard oral arguments yesterday in the case of a Mississippi law directly challenging uh, the court's decision in 1973, known to all of us as Roe v. Wade. Um, We followed those arguments um, in part. We talked about them a little bit yesterday. What did you hear and what would happen if Roe was overturned? Well, you know, this is a a fascinating glimpse because we actually get to hear the arguments, which uh, the oral arguments for uh, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization yesterday lasted about 90 minutes. And you could hear the interaction and the thought process. Uh, Now, of course, this is part of the argument that's going on. Yeah, it's wrong to read too much into the results. But if you listen to uh, the, the positions that people take, sometimes you can figure out very clearly where people come down. It's it's very clear that uh, the court's three liberal members are going to vote against uh, this this law passed in Mississippi that limits abortion to the first 15 weeks of pregnancy. It's very clear that uh, Alito and uh, Thomas uh, have very and uh, probably Barrett uh, have uh, similar leanings on the other side. And so you have a couple of people in the middle who are possibly looking for middle ground like uh, Roberts. Uh, it's been suggested that he's looking for a way to uphold the law without overturning uh, the underlying Roe v. Wade. One of his best questions was, he, he asked very simply, the way the media is portraying this, you would think that this is an outright ban on all abortions. 
15 weeks is what well into the first uh, semester, the end of the uh, first uh, uh, trimester, I should say. And so uh, he's saying, why isn't 15 weeks enough time to make this decision? Uh, you know, 15 weeks is, is uh, longer than some nations around the world allow. So why is it that uh, we, we are an outlier in this case? Uh, I thought uh, Samuel Alito asked really the question that's at the heart of this, which is that Roe v. Wade said the cutoff date for um, uh, this newly discovered right to abortion, which was not in evidence at the founding of this country, was not in evidence when the 14th Amendment was passed, where they claimed to have ferreted out this right to privacy, under which sexual rights hang, under which an emanation of that is the right to have an abortion. Uh, they said that uh, this uh, this new right is uh, an emanation of a penumbra of the actual text of the Constitution in 1973, uh, but that that right begins to lose its uh, its savor and uh, vitality when it comes to the point of a child's viability outside the womb. And uh, Samuel Alito just said, why does viability change anything? Uh, you know, the, uh, the he's, his exact words were, quote, the fetus has an interest in having a life before viability, so viability doesn't change the position of the fetus vis-a-vis -vis abortion, and the woman presumably will still have an interest in having an abortion after viability. So why is viability the only standard by which a state can regulate uh, or or disallow this kind of uh, this kind of activity, the abortion? Um, I thought Sonia Sotomayor uh, really almost beclowned herself in some of the things that she said. Uh, she was saying at one point that there'd been no advances in science in terms of viability since Roe v. Wade. And uh, Supreme Court precedent says that's not right. Roe v. Wade set viability at 28 weeks, which was about the standard 1973. In 1992, when you had Casey v. Planned Parenthood, uh, you then changed the standard to 24 weeks because the science had changed by that point. And that's more than, it's almost 30 years ago at this point. So, uh, at this point, uh, we have 22-week-olds uh, uh, who are regularly surviving. 20, a 21-week-old uh, was just uh, just survived uh, here recently. So that standard is changing, but uh, she's not recognizing any change. Uh, she's also saying that when life begins is a religious view, and it is anything but. Uh, if you read an embryology textbook, it says very clearly the newly conceived child is a separate human being containing the DNA of his mother and his father, his or her father. And so this is a new human child who has come into the world and is a distinct creature. Life begins at the moment of conception. That is as bona fide a scientific point of view as can be uttered. And yet she's dismissing it all as though it were simply religious superstition and uh, the attempt to create a theocracy through the courts. Uh, so I, I thought that that was that was very bad. But the worst was when she asked whether the Supreme Court would survive, quote, the stench that this creates with a public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts. And in fact, overturning Roe v. Wade is exactly what would save the court from the stench of the idea that uh, as an unelected group of judges simply change the reading of the Constitution whenever five of them agree against four others. Uh, that's exactly how Roe v. Wade came about, that uh, they simply proclaimed that there was a right to abortion that had never been seen or heard before, and suddenly it is now part of the Constitution and the quote-unquote law of the land. That's not the way that we make law. That's not the way that the Constitution was written to be interpreted, and that is not the way that uh, that rights are respected, particularly when 
it's undeniable that the, to the extent that the founders had anything about abortion in mind, they would have understood that life should be protected because life is sacred and we do not deprive people of the right to life unless they are doing something that harms the public safety and a child who is growing and developing in his mother's womb or her mother's womb is doing nothing except exactly what nature intended. Uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor um, got added to my personal prayer list yesterday because I felt like her approach to the entire conversation was anything but, um, hey, we're actually looking here to learn something, discover something. Um, we're actually going to look at what is presented to us. Um, there was already, I mean, this is a person whose um, neck is set, so to speak. Um, and her question that was really more a statement to the Mississippi Solicitor General, uh, you know, how is your interest anything but a religious view? It's a religious view. It assumes a fetus is a life. And then her rejection of the science that demonstrates that babies actually feel pain in the womb, um, likening the preborn to those who are brain dead. Um, her entire uh, that that entire conversation. I mean, denying the very consciousness um, of of a person um, in you know in the womb. I just I, I was I was frankly I was stunned by how direct she was and how hard-hearted and stiff-necked she uh, she came off. And so, yeah, so I'm praying for her. There you go. I'm praying for a softening of that one individual. If nothing else happens, I'm praying for that. Um, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, I want you to, um, to share with us what you know about what's going on um, in England. This whole conversation about false conversion, this is fascinating. So um, how do you know that someone is actually... Uh, of the faith that they profess. That's going to be the conversation we're going to have next. Like, if you had to prove you were a Christian in a court of law, could you do it? Ben Johnson and I are going to ask each other that question in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. The first Noel, the angels did say, was All right, continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, you can find what he's writing at dailywire.com. Uh, ben, if we jump there now, I don't know. I haven't been there this morning. Am I going to see what you've written up on the Church of England's false conversion problem? Uh, if not, it should be up very quickly. Let me put it that uh, way. So, uh, all right. So, we'll what be... what's going on? Because this is such a. I mean, this is a terrible story, but it's it's an, a fascinating conversation about whether or not just because a person says they have converted, that they are actually now a person of that expressed faith. So tell people what's happening. Well, it, what really brought things into focus is that on November 14th, uh, a man was uh, t- taking a taxi. He stopped it in front of the Liverpool uh, hospital. And as he was getting out of the cab, his backpack exploded a little bit prematurely. He ended up blowing up the cab. He died, but he did not end up at his target. Uh, the issue there is that the uh, the gentleman in question was an, a 32-year-old Iraqi national but he had been baptized and converted and chrismated, or I'm I'm sorry, confirmed into the Church of England uh, a couple of years earlier and professed that he was a Christian. So uh, to all observances, this is a quote-unquote Christian suicide bomber. Now, what is going on here is that according to the Home Office, which oversees all immigration in the United Kingdom, they have seen dozens, perhaps hundreds 
of false conversions of Muslims who have come illegally into England. Uh, they will then go to a church, get baptized, uh, be confirmed into the Church of England, or they'll join Pentecostal churches or other churches. And from that point forward, they will say, you cannot send me back to my home country because I'm a Christian and Muslims persecute Christians in my home country. Several of these people have actually committed acts of jihad in England after their quote-unquote conversion. Uh, just a few uh, few years, uh, I believe two years ago, there was a 25-year-old man who stabbed three people to death. He was supposedly a Christian convert, but he screamed, Allahu Akbar, and may Allah accept my jihad uh, after his conversion, quote-unquote, mm. while he was committing this, this act of terrorism. So the, the Home Office, led by uh, MP Priti Patel, is saying that this is a massive issue. For example, in the Liverpool Cathedral, they had 200 people from Iran uh, convert en masse uh, in about four years, to, uh, 2012 to 2016. During that time, the, uh, the leader there said that uh, he did not see a single uh, individual who was Muslim who converted after they had British citizenship. It was only those who were seeking British citizenship for some reason and were seeking to avoid deportation who converted. In, uh, in one church, it, it mentioned that they had 100 Iranian converts alone and other Muslims, not a single native Brit, not a single British citizen converted at that church. So uh, it's, it's very obvious that uh, you know, there are people who are, who are uh, going about trying to abuse or game the system in order to avoid deportation. In fact, there are ads from human traffickers which tell people who are coming into England, convert to Christianity, it makes it almost impossible for you to be deported. So that's, that's what's happening in this bizarre uh, exchange. And, you know, your heart goes out to people who are in the church, whether it's the Church of England or other churches, because if someone comes to you and goes through, uh, in, in uh, the case of the suicide bomber, he went through a, a five-week course called the Alpha Course, some of your listeners may be familiar with, mm -hmm. and became a believer in Jesus Christ or professed that he was, a, he was a believer in Jesus Christ. He met all the criteria that you would expect of anyone who else would be baptized. What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to look into their heart and make that make that uh, difference. If you're the priest, you're the pastor, you are the, uh, the rector or vicar or whatever your position is there, how do you tell this person, no, you can't be converted? This is obviously a problem, an incentive that the government has created, and the church is having to deal with uh, the aftermath of it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, some passages that come to mind, uh, just the acknowledgement that the wheat and the tares are going to grow, grow up together, um, that only God can judge the human heart, that uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord uh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, I it is hard for me to make a judgment call on this. I guess I would also, you know, turn the question to each and every one of us. Um, you know, how would you prove, like, you know, beyond your own confession? You know, is there enough outward evidence that your life is now the life of Christ, that you are dead to sin, um, and that you are walking by faith, moment by moment, step by step, in you know, in joyful submission to the active work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I think those are legitimate questions for each and every one of us. I mean, there's a lot of people, Ben. I mean, you know this full well. There's a lot of people who. You know, they think they're Christians because they're members of a church, uh, you know, as if it's something mm -hmm. that's passed down generation to generation. Um, and it 
it, it is a matter of the human heart. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved. Jesus is super clear about that. And so um, it's, um, it, it's, I think it's, it's a new issue in terms of the way we are facing it in this generation and what's going on globally. It's not a new issue for God. <laughs> like, right. right. Fake, fake believers, not a new issue for God. No, and, and unfortunately, every one of us grapples with it to a certain extent. There's some part of uh, old Adam that's still alive in us, and yeah. some percentage of ourselves is is not completely dedicated, sanctified. Uh, it has not been completely reclaimed for Jesus Christ through the ongoing progressive power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the life of sanctification is about. That's what the life of repentance is about. That's what it means to live in the life of Christ day by day. So it's it's not an issue that's alien to uh, to us based on citizenship or or what our, our native uh, initial religion might have been growing up. It's something that is uh, common to all of us. Uh, if if it's the case that this is being gamed, obviously, uh, you know, other than taking some very basic precautions uh, to see if you, you see any terrorist uh, uh, leanings in your parishioners and reporting them, I don't really know what you would do. This is a, a problem the government created. And I, I suspect the government may be tempted to uh, revoke the idea of not sending Christians back into these very dangerous anti-Christian lands. Uh, that could end up creating a whole new, uh, air, whole new order of mm. martyrs in the Middle East. Sure. Um, all right. So um, you um, introduced a new word to many people, and we might not have time to talk about it today, but we're going to come back to it. Everyone should look up the word chrismation. <clears throat> Ben used it. He, um, I think, used it inadvertently. But my guess is, if you're like me, you had to look it up. Chrismation. What is that? All right. There you go. We're going to leave it there. Ben, as always, you are our word of the day guy. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And it's always a wonderful cromulent opportunity. (laughs) Hey, we talk again before Christmas, but happy Advent. Blessed Advent to you. Thank you. We'll be right back. Well, thank you to each and every one of you who have um, reached out in the last couple of days to ask about my friend Shelly and her daughter, Emily. Um, On Monday at around noon, Emily, who is 17 um, and a senior in high school, was at work and her co-workers found her unresponsive when they returned from getting lunch. So I do not know anything about the circumstances that led to... um, that discovery. <clears throat> what I can tell you now is that as of yesterday at noon or one in the afternoon, um, they determined based on additional brain scans that Emily has been brain dead since then. And so her parents are now acknowledging that Emily has departed this life. And so I can share that with you because it's been very publicly shared on Facebook. And I can just as confidently say to you as a Christian and as Emily was a person who expressed faith in Jesus Christ, that Emily is no longer here, but Emily is fully with the Lord. And so my grief for her parents is deep, but my confidence in the goodness and the grace of God is deeper still. Emily's family is one of many families in America 
who are entering into what is supposed to be a season of joy with great grief. So how do we rejoice and lament together at the same time? How do we both sing and weep? How do we now pray? My friend Kathy Branzell joins us next. We'll be right back. If you could peer into the heart of your team, what would you see? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Proverbs 22.15 says, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but discipline will drive it away. So there you have it. Your teen's heart and mind is filled with foolishness. The Bible says it. And you and I both know folks who continue to live out that foolishness long beyond childhood. Your job, mom and dad, as we read right here in Proverbs, is to use discipline, love, and endurance to banish that foolishness. So stick to your job. Take it as a mandate from Scripture to know what's in your child's heart and stay consistent with discipline. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart, which is why moms and dads turn to parenting expert Mark Gregston for help. Learn about Mark's upcoming events and check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. And in despair I bowed my Kathy Branzell uh, joins us on a regular basis. She serves all of us as the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. She's a dear friend. Um, Kathy, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing? So, um, you know, I am filled with anticipatory joy at the coming of the Christ. I am, I love this season of the year. I'm also in deep grief for our mutual friend Shelly and the death of her daughter Emily in Texas. I am grieving afar and without personal knowledge, you know, for the families whose members were killed in the parade in Wisconsin, kids killed yesterday at a high school in Michigan, kids killed in Tennessee at a basketball game. I mean, I'm just like in, 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 in a couple of days ago, you know, just outside of Atlanta, I'm just... Um, the numbers out of Chicago, like I'm grieving. Yeah. But I'm also you know, like filled with all of the hope of Advent. So I, that's really what I want to talk about today. Like, how do we pray in the midst of all this? Exactly. Exactly. And we're not robots. And I, and I think first and foremost, people need to know it, that grieving is a part of life. You know, there's a time to live, a time to die, that, that, that whole discourse in Ecclesiastes. And so there's no guilt in grieving. There's no shame. You're, you're, you're not doubting God. You're not doubting your faith. Um, it, it is a part of our hearts connected to the Holy Spirit who grieves the brokenness of this world. And so um, if, if the enemy has come in in any way to any of our listeners this morning and said, oh, you know, you're supposed to rejoice always, it, it, okay, listen to that. Rejoice in the Lord always. We need, the enemy will come in and counterfeit and, and try to twist Scripture. You know, did he really say? And so let your heart rest in him 
and let the tears flow and and let God comfort you. And then, yes, we do have great expectation. We do rejoice in the Lord who is still on his throne. Um, And then we get to control our response. How are we, you and I, going to minister to our friend? How, as um, you know that I've had the privilege of going and ministering at several school shootings over the years to just go and be a part of healing and loving and comfort in what feels some days like an impossible job. But to know the world cares, the number of cards and letters that people received in those cities and those families received was such a great comfort to just know people care. And that's a great response in times of great pain is to show your heart. I have a, um, a listener engaging on the on the text line um, this morning on this topic as well. They, um, you know, they have a an empty crib, an empty high chair in their family. Um, a three month old grandchild who died just before Christmas a few years ago. It's not as if um, that goes away. It's not as right. if, um, like, it's not as if time heals the wound. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm really mindful that as Christians. Like I can say, um, for me, the inclusion of the slaughter of the innocents or the massacre of the innocents in recorded in Matthew chapter two helps me understand and and recognize that although this grief is new for me, it's not new for God. It's a part right. of what has always been true about Christmas. Um, that's not a text I would lift up to a family in the midst of this kind of travail. But it yeah. is a text. It is a text that's a part of the um, the fabric of my faith in terms of how I approach this season and the gentleness with which I approach families who have lost children, particularly yes. in this season. Yes, yes. And um, let me just beg everyone to never say to another person, "You need to get on with it." You need to get on with life. Please don't ever say that. Uh, that, That's such a hurtful statement. Maybe say, how can I be on this journey with you? How can we go forward together? What do you need today? Because grief is a long road, a very long road. And and we as friends and family, um, friends and family in Jesus Christ, we just need to stay on that journey with them and make sure that they don't stop and build a house on that street, <laughs> that mm. there is some sort of every day getting up and stepping into the day and whatever it brings, but being there with them on the journey. And the second thing is um, to, to, not, uh, to realize that we don't know exactly how anyone feels. Um, e- even people who have children with cancer, and I had a child with cancer, relationships are different, your circumstances are different, your education experience is different, everything is different. We are all unique human beings um, made in the image of God, praise Him, but we're all unique human beings. And so you don't know exactly how someone's feeling, but you know that you can journey with them, you can love them. Um, in it and through it, just stick with them. 
So we're going to take a very brief pause. Um, maybe during this break, consider, you know, what it means to offer life support yes. to those who are grieving. What does it look like in your own life to offer life support today for the brokenhearted, those parents and family members who they just, they can't even breathe. What does it look like today to be the people who offer life support in the midst of very deep grief? Kathy Branzell and I um, will be back in just a moment. Continuing our conversation with Kathy Branzell. She serves with the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Um, Kathy, let's talk about giving thanks to God in this season. His generosity is great toward us. How do we, how do we rightly and regularly turn to God in genuine thanksgiving of heart? Mm. And, and that's important, I would say, daily and sometimes hourly and sometimes moment by moment where you have to stop and remember his faithfulness. Remember times of trials and testing reminds you of his faithfulness because you're still standing because you've gotten through a lot of very hard times in your life and he's been faithful. And so you remember that faithfulness throughout scripture. God tells his people, remember and tell, remember and tell. Faith comes by hearing, and sometimes you have to tell yourself and remember and be grateful. Yes, we rejoice in the Lord always. And so uh, that's where our hope comes from. He is our anchor of hope, and you make sure that you don't let a bunch of links get in your chain and you get too far away from your anchor uh, where you're left out in the current and the wind and the circumstances of life to decide how you're feeling. You get to choose your response. You get to choose how you feel. And then we also get to choose, um, you know, what we bring into the atmosphere of the room, our families, that whole saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth to that. If, if whoever's in the room ain't happy, <laughs> then maybe nobody's going to be happy. And so what do you bring? What kind of comfort? What kind of joy? What kind of fruitfulness can you bring into a situation to change the atmosphere and to change the look, um, the, the outlook of what is to come because of the looking back of all he's done? I love the, um, <clears throat> the reminder that our presence, like literally when we show up, there's that incarnational reality that the atmosphere has changed in the room. I mean, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. Right. And so as a Christ follower filled with the Holy Spirit, as an ambassador of the King and the kingdom, as a representative of Jesus Christ, you know, here and now to represent Christ, um, when I walk into a room, when you walk into a room as a Christ person, your presence changes the atmosphere. You bring Jesus into the room. You bring light into darkness. You bring hope into a place of despair. Um, right. You bring eternal life uh, and its promise and its hope, I mean, into rooms that are filled with the stench of death. Like, that's what happens. 
Right. I, I don't know if Christians recognize that that's what happens when we show up and walk into a room. And if people have experienced that in you, they will come back to you for more. I mean, mm-hmm. think about this season right now. It was funny. As soon as Halloween was over, my whole neighborhood lit up with Christmas lights. It was like we couldn't <laughs> wait this year, right? And and people drive from miles around every year to drive through my neighborhood and see the lights. Okay, that can happen on a daily basis. If you start noticing people swinging by your office or coming to find you at church or stopping as they're walking, you know, maybe they walk a little slower by your house, hoping you'll come outside and check your mail. Um, You know, just realize they are coming. They're drawn to the light in you. Jesus never leaves you or forsakes you. And so be that light wherever God has established you, in your home, in your church, where you work, where you live, (laughs) where you work out, wherever it is, determine, resolve that you are going to bring the light of Jesus Christ into everywhere you go, every relationship you have. Oh, I just love that. I am am, uh, mindful right now of a person I had a conversation with yesterday um, uh, that she is she's trying to like manage all of the people who want to see her between now and christmas and she was a little overwhelmed mm-hmm. by that and you know and mm-hmm. she was saying you know i don't even know i'm this one person i mean they don't they don't need an appointment like i don't they don't actually need an appointment and but they came and and she said you know they they left within like 5 minutes it was like you know and 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 and, she, and i had said to her okay for some reason they needed to see you like they mm-hmm. there's something about well i think it's this i think she's right. their light person she's their right. point of light person they needed right. like they needed that drive by. They needed that Christmas light drive by. Mm-hmm. And she's their person. I'm going to call her back today and tell her that. And I think that's going to change her perspective on like tending to the endless number of people who even want a quick appointment between now and Christmas. Like, I think yeah. that's huge. Kathy. I think that's huge. It's her assignment, and and she's just being obedient in this great influence that God has given her to be the light and always point to Him, and 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 so I would say even give them something to carry them home with, you know, kind of some homework, some scripture of of encouragement, you know, uh, put it on a post-it note. Again, we keep it all over our house, whatever it is that she's got to say, and and then if there is some way. To produce that, you know, uh, I'm grateful that I get to do my Friday videos on the National Day of Prayer Task Force Facebook and Instagram page. And I'm giving encouragement every single Friday. Um, We get to send out articles. We have our social media. Use what you have to shine the light of Jesus Christ out into this very dark and hurt world right now. Everyone has influence. Everyone Mm. is a light. Mm. I love that. I love that. Um, all right, Kathy, I know you don't know this about us, but we're going to do a week of, uh, well, actually a short week, like three mornings next week in a winter fundraiser just to, you know, bring the ministry year to a close, give yes. people an opportunity to participate. And yes. one of our, like, you know, you know, we like to give people gifts. It's not, it's a, just a, it's a thank you. It's, it's just an acknowledgement gift. And one of our gifts this year is this little Faith Radio candle. That you know, oh, it's you yeah. don't light it, right? You I, you turn it on. It's battery powered. Sure. And, um, sure. And but I'm gonna I'm totally using this conversation today to t- to I'm gonna talk about it next week. That Perfect. this 
this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. All right, yes. um, Kathy Brenzel, thank you for being an amazing point of light. Thank you for shining brightly in the midst of the world that we might better see Jesus. And thank you for praying with us. Uh, we you, appreciate you so much. Love you All right, guys. We will Merry be. Christmas. Merry we love you Christmas. too. Merry, Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, uh, I have converted an entire room of the house. Um, it's our guest room, so nobody can come and spend the night between now and Christmas because <laughs> I have like I have to like stage it. I have to put people like tape people's names to the walls and put a bag under that and get ready for Christmas for all. It's a lot of little people, right? We have a lot of big people too, but um, it's like the Christmas staging area. So. I thought I would remind you that we're giving stuff away here at Faith Radio as well. We're giving away acts of kindness. It is intentional. We call it the great giveaway. And so we invite you into the great giveaway with us as Christians are acts of kindness, right? They are the ways in which we let our light so shine before others that they would see our what? Our good works, our, our kindness, our acts of kindness, and they would glorify God who is in heaven. People need... Um, People need Jesus, and they need Jesus people to be Jesus-y. And so the great giveaway is something that we do where we invite you uh, to engage with us in a month of intentional acts of kindness. So please sign up today to be one of the thousand people who are going to join the movement at MyFaithRadio.com. And you're going to get—we're going to send you some things to equip you uh, to do this. Um, but you'll automatically also be entered into something we call the Great Giveaway Gift Box, which is um, pretty fancy schmancy. All right. And that we're going to actually give away on December 17th during Susie Larson Live. Um, and so there you go. That is uh, the Great Giveaway in a nutshell. To learn more, go to MyFaithRadio.com. Sign up to be one of the thousand people that are going to join us in intentionally letting the light of Christ shine through our acts of kindness in this month of December, actually, it's just, it, it, we're actually, gonna, I guess, only going to do this, you know, for like two weeks in a day, because today's December the 2nd, and we're going to do the drawing on December the 17th. I mean, not that you got to pack all your acts of kindness into that, like you're allowed to do acts of kindness outside of that. Yeah, don't don't plan on turning off your light. Oh, no, I've kind of run into a, <clears throat> I've run into a turnaround here. Let's, um, let's take a brief break and come back and have another hour together of Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.